Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is the best sports bar in Navy Yard, located just across the street from Nationals Park. Also a great place to check out if you're headed to Audi Field. Make sure to check out their self-pour beer wall and unlimited TVs. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Bat of the first inning was Riley Adams, the catcher standing in. First pitch, belted, deep left field. Back goes Badu, way back at the fence. He leaps and it is gone. Goodbye. Into the Tigers' bullpen. A leadoff home run for Riley Adams on the first pitch he sees today. It's his second home run of the year and RBI number six. He's got the knack of this playing once a week thing. It's the Nationals four and the Tigers nothing. Bang! Zoom goes Riley Adams. Baez digs in. Here it is. Swinging a fly ball to straightaway center. Racing out is Vargas. Racing in is Call. Call is calling. He goes into a slide and he makes the catch. And the Tigers do not score. Bases loaded. Nobody out. A ground out and two pop-ups. And Gray survives the fourth inning. Fitting and ready. He deals. Swinging a pop-up. On the right side, it's playable for Dom Smith, using his glove to shade his eyes, and he makes the catch. And again, the Tigers will leave the bases loaded. So Finnegan comes in to slam the door in the top of the sixth inning. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, May 22nd, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who was at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, sadly, it now is mathematically impossible for the Nats to be 19-31 and 31 this season. But the good news is that the reason that that record is now mathematically impossible is because the Nats on Sunday afternoon won a 6-4 win over the Detroit Tigers at Nationals Park to win the series two games to one. This most certainly was among the stranger Nationals victories that you'll ever see. The Nats in this game tripled up the Tigers in terms of hits, 18-6, and yet the Nats won by just that 6-4 count. The Nats won despite going 2-16 with runners in scoring position. The Nats won despite working zero walks. The Nats won despite Davey Martinez not playing three regulars in K-Bit Ruiz, C.J. Abrams, and Luis Garcia. The Nats won despite Josiah Gray issuing an astounding six walks, although he also allowed just one run in five innings. But the Nats won. They now are 20 and 27. Mark, an odd performance by the Nats, but a victorious performance by the Nats. And I'll add one more to the list of oddities from this game, Al. It's that they won with Kyle Finnegan coming in to pitch the sixth inning one day after closing it in the ninth. This was 
as I wrote about in my game store at massinsports.com, as much as managers want to believe that there's just a clear and straight path to every victory and that they're all the same, it doesn't always work out that way. And this one veered way off course and they had to bring it back around as Davey did to pull it off. They probably should have won this game handily. All the offense they had, they should have scored a lot more runs along the way, but they didn't. Their starter was really off with his command. And so because of that, I think Davey seized the moment and he said, you know what? The sixth inning, this thing could get out of hand here all of a sudden. I'm going to go to my quote unquote closer now, get through that, get through the seventh, and then kind of work backwards from that point on. And it worked. And I think it's nice to see that as weird a game as it was and as many things as didn't go well for them in this game, they still found a way to win. That's an important lesson for a team that hasn't always been great at winning these close games. They found a way to do it, and it was a different way than they normally do it. The Nats, over the first three innings, scored six runs and had 12 of the team's 18 hits. I don't know if such a thing is tracked. I mean, I can't remember the last time any Nationals team had 12 hits over the first three innings of a game. The Nats absolutely wrecked the Tigers' starting pitcher on Sunday afternoon. Joey Wentz, six runs in two innings. A bad last nine months for guys with the last name of Wentz in games involving Washington teams on Sunday afternoon. But I digress. But man, what an offensive display by the Nats. And you know, what is kind of funny is first two games of this series, the Nats actually had a good number of extra base hits. In this game on Sunday afternoon, Three of the 18 hits were extra base hits. I mean, this was a singles parade starting with that first inning. Nothing but singles in what ended up being a three-run first. Five singles for the Nats in that three-run first. At least they scored the three runs because we see sometimes five singles is not going to be enough for this team to score three runs. So they did that. And then when they did need power, they didn't have a lot of it in this game. But when they needed it, they turned to obviously their most trusted power hitters. And by that, I mean Riley Adams and Ildemaro Vargas, because who else would you turn to when you need some power at the bottom of your lineup? Those two delivered, and that was necessary because they weren't going to score runs in any other way over the rest of the game. So just adding to the weirdness of the way they went about this one. Yeah. So you had basically three major offensive heroes for the Nats in this game. The two guys who Mark just mentioned, Riley Adams and Ildemaro Vargas, And Jamer Candelario. How many guys in the majors right now are as locked in as Jamer Candelario is? And of course, that's the kind of statement that just, what, a week ago would have sounded so funny. But now, of course, it's so true. Candelario on Sunday afternoon as the Nats' number two batter because of all the regulars who were out. Uh, He was in that number two spot. Four for five with four singles. Jamer Candelario now over his last seven games is 16 for 28. I mean, think about that. 16 for 28. Two homers, a triple, four doubles, nine singles, and a walk. This is like Josh Bell 2021-esque in terms of the slow start for a newcomer. And now this guy is like white hot. Forget about going from bad to good. He's gone from bad to outstanding. Candelario is on some roll. He said 16 for 28. That's a 571 batting average, which last I checked is pretty good over any stretch of time. You might even get him NL Player of the Week honors, although there are some other guys who had good weeks as well. That's been really nice to see. It was a good time for him to step up like that when they've needed it, and good to see him do that against his former team. We're probably going to be talking about this leading into the series that's coming up next with the Padres, but you can get caught up a little too much in facing your former team for the first time and try to make too much happen. Credit to Jamer Candelario for staying in control, 
really contributing across the board offensively and defensively and playing a big role in beating his former team, the Tigers, without getting too swept up in the emotion of it. I think that was a really nice sign, and maybe some of his teammates could learn from that as they prepare for Tuesday night against the Padres. So you had Candelario doing well. Riley Adams, once again, doing well in his rare playing time. I mean, we know the deal. Cabert Ruiz catches nearly every game. He did not catch this game on Sunday afternoon. Riley Adams was the man. And, you know, the more that he keeps hitting, the more that you do wonder, you know, does Davey Martinez get a little more liberal in, ben- in uh, not benching, but resting Cabert Ruiz, you know, giving him some more days off. Adams on Sunday afternoon as the Nats number nine batter, four for four with a solo home run, two two-out doubles and a single. We nearly had a Riley Adams cycle in this game. It is something, as we've talked about, he was good down the stretch in the 2021 season, really struggled in the 2022 season, but over just eight games this season, I mean, that's all that he's played, eight games this entire season. He has a 944 OPS in these rare playing opportunities. He's doing well. And he's homered in two of his last three starts. Not an easy thing to do when you don't get consistent at bats. So props to him for that. I personally was disappointed that he didn't try to stretch that last double into a triple on the little blooper down the left field line. I know he would have been out by a mile, but it would have been fun to see because when else is Riley Adams ever going to be in a position to hit for the cycle in his career? All due respect to him, I was hoping against hope, and it would have been a stupid play and it maybe would have cost him the game, but it would have been fun to see him turn second, at least consider the possibility. But hey, a great job by him, and he has done a better job this year, I think, at maintaining some kind of swing at the plate when he's not playing. And I mean, you're talking about a guy who gets 10 days in a row off before he gets a chance to start and he's still delivering. That's a really nice thing. And it's a really difficult thing to do. I'm like you, I will be curious to see how Davey plays this out, but he has consistently said it, it has nothing to do with Adam's performance. He consistently talks about Cabert Ruiz as a guy who should catch 130 games this year if he's healthy. Of course, he's locked into the future. He is the guy here for a long time. We'll see if that holds up, if his body holds up to allow him to do that. He has struggled some at the plate here lately, and you wonder. It's easy to say on the outside, hey, a few more days off might help him. Maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't. But if you know that the drop-off in production isn't that great, if you can trust Adams to deliver for you, maybe you are more willing to pull that trigger a few more times and let Adams catch some more games. Yeah, I mean, I think it might be worth a shot just because you don't really know if a K-Bit Ruiz with more rest will be a better K-Bit Ruiz. We haven't really tested that over these last few seasons. So why not, you know, give that a shot and kind of see where it takes you? I mean, you know, you need more than one catcher on whom you can rely. I mean, God forbid K-Bit gets hurt, then what? You know, like you're going to have just Riley Adams who never catches all of a sudden being your everyday catcher. So, you know, some reps might be good for him. But yeah, I mean, good for him for, you know, it's not easy to be productive when you rarely play, but Adams is doing that here so far this season. And he had the hit in the bottom of the third. I mean, I saw this and I looked at it. Bottom of the third, Riley Adams, a single up the middle. That was the Nats' 12th hit over the first three innings. I mean, that is is ridiculous that any team does something like that. 12 hits over the first three innings of a game. They were 12 for 18 at that point in the game because there were no walks, no other sacrifices any other. The lineup has come up to bat twice, everybody, 18 at-bats, and they have 12 hits. That's pretty crazy. And you would think that that should lead to a cruising your way to victory, and it was not that way at all. So we did see some first pitch hits, some second pitch hits. I mean, the Adams homer in the one-run second, a first pitch leadoff homer. The Lane Thomas single in the three-run first, a first pitch single. 
Do you have any sense on if the Tigers were tipping pitches, if Wentz was tipping pitches? Because it, it did kind of feel that way with how on top of everything the Nats were, especially early in the game. I did get that sense, but I have gotten the sense that the Nationals are preaching for certain hitters in their lineup a more aggressive approach. And the key there is if you're good at hitting fastballs in particular and you get one over the plate on the first pitch, then go for it. Now, just because you get one doesn't mean you have to swing at it. Make sure it's in the right spot. And I think they talk about this with Ruiz. He needs to learn to be a little more selective, maybe Luis Garcia as well. You don't have to swing at every strike or everything that looks like it might be a strike. But Lane Thomas, certainly, I think Adams fits the bill, though his homer was on a changeup. If you see a good pitch over the plate that you think you can do something with, go for it. You don't have to wait. You don't have to work the at-bat. So I think this was more a reflection of that approach that they're trying across the board than anything particular with Wentz. But clearly, Wentz didn't have it in this game, and he was rocked by the Mariners in his last start. So whatever he's dealing with, he's dealing with something, and uh, good on the Nats for taking advantage of it in this one. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore and Kate Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nats Chat sponsor Mason Kalfis and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kalfis has recruiters in six states and displaced lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red hot antitrust, IP litigation, white collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and healthcare. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfas. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
The 3-2 is coming. And it's blasted in the air to left field for Vargas. Back goes Badu to the track at the wall, and it's gone! Home run number one this season for Ildemaro Vargas. And it's the Nationals six and the Tigers one. So we salute Riley Adams for making the most of limited playing time. How about our guy, Ildemaro Vargas, the potential trade chip, <laughs> Ildemaro Vargas. So he got the start at shortstop on Sunday afternoon and another productive game for Ildemaro in a spot start, two for four with a two-run homer and a single. So I mentioned Riley Adams. He has only played in eight games this season. Vargas has only played in 14 games this season, 851 OPS, a 351 on base, a 500 slugging percentage. Again, I mean, limited time, but Vargas seems to always do something when he plays. And in this game, he did more than just something. He did a whole lot of something, including that home run. Well, let me give you the numbers even beyond this year. Go back to last year when he was such a pleasant surprise after he joined the team in August. In his career as a national, so it's less than a full season, but he you know, has played somewhat regularly for them. 291 batting average and a 735 OPS. For a utility guy off the bench, that's huge. That's all you could possibly ask for. Here's what he is when he's played for anybody else in the big leagues. And he's played for several other teams for several years. 227 average and a 620 OPS. He has been leaps and bounds better since joining the Nationals than with anybody else. I don't know why that is. I'm not sure he knows 100% why that is, except that he's been very comfortable here. He has embraced the role here. It doesn't include a whole lot of playing time, but he has made the most of the opportunities that he does get. He has played excellent in the field, no matter where they put him. I know you're going to look at that and say that makes him a perfect trade option, and maybe it does, but it also makes him pretty valuable to this team because when you do want to give somebody else a day off, it does not hurt you that much to have a utility guy who can step in and deliver both offensively and defensively the way that he has. Well, the Nationals for a few years had this like Midas touch with veterans from other teams who did not have high expectations, came here, and for whatever reason did quite well. When you think about Esdrubal Cabrera and Gerardo Parra, and you could even throw Alcides Escobar into that mix. And so maybe Ildemaro Vargas is uh, the latest chapter in that book. I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but he's done a nice job over these last two seasons now. So a bunch of guys had multi-hit games for the Nats on Sunday afternoon. The new daddy, Joey Manessis, he had a three-hit game, three for five with an RBI single and two other singles. So games one and two, the Nats do a good job of generating extra base hits. Game three, the Nats do a really good job of just generating hits, period. And the Nats come away with a series victory, winning two of the three games in this series. I mean, the Tigers are not a very good team. This was a sloppy series in a lot of ways. But, you know, with the Nats, I don't think they have to apologize for beating anyone. You know, this is a bad team coming off a horrendous season. It's a rebuilding team. So you take whatever wins you can get. And, you know, even if it isn't pretty, even if the win is strange, as we're outlining with this game, a series win is a series win for this team, I think. Yeah, agreed. And I think there is value in winning games when you don't necessarily play your best baseball. You have to be able to do that at times. And so I I think that was actually important in this case. Yeah, you'd love to just kind of play a nice, clean, simple game like they did on Saturday. That was by the books the way they won that game. This one was not, but you got to win these games sometimes. And so I was glad to see them do that. And I think it goes right to, it ties in with their starter for the day because Josiah Gray was not really in his top four anywhere close to it. 
and yet he was still effective enough to put them in a position to win the game. And I think that's a big step for him. Yeah, I mean, if not for what the Nats did offensively, we spend the first 10 minutes of this show talking Josiah Gray. What a bizarre outing for him in this 6-4 win over the Tigers on Sunday afternoon. So one run in five innings. I mean, at the end of the day, there's not that much to complain about from a run prevention standpoint, but six walks, a whopping six walks from Josiah Gray. He ended up throwing 88 pitches, 48 strikes versus 40 balls. He only had two strikeouts, but he also only gave up three hits, all of which were singles. So, I mean, you can't really call this a good outing, but at the same time, I mean, like we've said multiple times with him and Mackenzie Gore, if he's this off and yet he only allows one run, like I think that says a lot about the guy. Now, you know, with Josiah, so much has been made of the home run problem. He also has had a walks problem previously anyway, not so much this season. But Josiah Gray last season, in addition to giving up the major league worst 38 homers, issued a National League worst 66 walks. That's been kind of an underrated issue with him. The control was an issue on Sunday afternoon, clearly. I presume the mechanics were the problem. But one run in five innings, you know, you can't be too upset. No, you can't. Now, watching him, if you're not paying attention to what the results are, this looked like 2022 Josiah Gray. Fastball command all over the place, really everything tailing away, high and away from left-handed hitters. He threw 28 four-seam fastballs in the game, and he only threw nine of them for strikes. That's pretty abysmal. And yet, like you said, the end result was good. Why was it good? Because his slider, of course, has become his best pitch. He went to his cutter when he needed to. And in that final inning, the fifth inning was big for him to get through that one, two, three. He also started throwing his sinker more, and he threw seven out of eight sinkers for strikes most of them in that inning. So an ability to adjust on the fly, make some changes, realize what's working, what's not working, to come up with big pitches when he needed them. Maybe he's helped somewhat by the Tigers lineup, which we know is not very good. But I think this is an important start for him. This is the kind of start a year ago. If he's having the same problems, he's giving up a couple of home runs that turns five innings of one run ball into five innings of six run ball. And I think that's a big step for him to figure out how to get through this. You're going to have your best stuff some days, but you're also not going to have your best stuff some days. And the ones who can fight through that and still be successful are the ones who are ultimately the best and most lasting in the big leagues. And so I think this was actually a really important start for him. So Gray's ERA actually goes down. 10 starts. The ERA now is down to 265. There's not a Nats fan on the planet who would not have signed up for that from Josiah Gray over his first 10 starts of this season. You can play a lot of games with numbers. I get that. But it is interesting. Patrick Corbin and Trevor Williams, each guy has a lower whip than both Mackenzie Gore and Josiah Gray. Gore and Gray are having good seasons, but each guy is putting a good number of guys on base. It's kind of funny how this is playing out. And, you know, at least with Gore, he generates a lot of strikeouts. Gray really isn't doing that. If you look at Josiah Gray's FIP, his fielding independent pitching, which, you know, takes out the things that a pitcher doesn't control and just factors in things like strikeouts and walks allowed, homers allowed, hit by pitches issued. The difference between Gray's actual ERA and the FIP is like multiple runs. And so it does make you wonder sometimes, like, is Gray getting results that his process isn't necessarily warranting? Now, watching him, I don't get that sense. I mean, I do think that we're seeing a much better pitcher. The home runs are down. The walks have not been nearly the problem that they have been. I do wonder, though, especially with Gray and the lack of strikeouts, is he kind of walking a dangerous line here of putting guys on base at the rate that he is? I mean, his whip is 139. 
you'd like to see that a little lower. That doesn't really match up with an ERA of 265. An ERA at 265 is outstanding. A whip of 139 is, you know, kind of mediocre. Right. And yeah, I agree that he is walking a tightrope and eventually against some good lineups that could come back to haunt him. It has not yet. He's avoided the home run. It's you know first two batters of the season that he faced and then only two of them since then. You always worry as the weather heats up, is the ball going to start to fly more? And maybe that will be the case. But I keep saying it's not like he's giving up drives that are dying at the warning track and you say, oh, well, the temperature's 10 degrees warmer, that ball's going to fly. He's not. He's getting weaker contact. And this is where I think the addition of the cutter is making a difference. That is a pitch that's designed to induce weaker contact. And by throwing fewer fastballs over the plate, he is not giving up the kind of hard hit balls in the air that he did last year. So I think that's the difference. So yeah, there are some little warning signs in there that make you say, I don't know if this is sustainable to this level, but I also think he has made some key adjustments this year that should allow him to maintain some level of success, even if it's not a 2.65 ERA for the whole season. I brought this up the last time Josiah Gray pitched. I talked about this with Tim Shovers, but right now, if you have to say who is the most deserving Nationals player for the National League All-Star team, is the answer not Josiah Gray? I think it probably is. You know, the one bad start to begin the year. Other than that, I think he allowed three runs and one start and everything else has been two or less consistency. Mackenzie Gore at his best has been better, I think, than Josiah Gray. But Josiah Gray has consistently every fifth day given them more. And yeah, I would say maybe Hunter Harvey, depending on how this all shakes out for him. I don't think anybody offensively really fits a bill, although if Candelario keeps doing this for another month or so, he may get in the conversation. But yeah, right now today, I think Josiah Gray would be a worthy all-star selection for the Nationals. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Some amazing news from Window Nation. You can modernize and reinvest in your home today with new windows from Window Nation, all while capitalizing on Window Nation's best deal of the year. 0% financing for five years. Unheard of. Zero interest for five years. And Window Nation will give you two free windows for every two windows that you buy. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. But act soon because this deal does expire at the end of the month. Protect and increase the value of your home today by taking advantage of this great offer. Again, 0% financing for five years and two free windows for every two windows that you buy. And by the way, that goes for any style of window from Window Nation. And there's no limit. Save thousands of dollars on your new windows and save money on energy bills, all while upgrading the look and feel of your home. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. But don't forget, this deal does expire at the end of the month. Here's the pitch. It's in there. Strike three call. A fastball knee high. 99 miles an hour. And a curly W's in the books. The second career save for Hunter Harvey. It's a 1-2-3 top of the ninth with two strikeouts. A curly W's in the books. The final score, the Washington Nationals 6. The Detroit Tigers 4. Well, an interesting game for the Nationals' bullpen in this win over the Tigers on Sunday afternoon. So four Nats relievers ultimately combined to allow three runs, two earned in four innings. Andres Machado had a hard time in this game. He and what ended up being a two-run six for the Tigers 
faced five batters, got just one out. This was rough. He gave up a first pitch leadoff homer by Nick Maton, two singles and a walk. Machado in this appearance, 19 pitches, a mere eight strikes versus 11 balls. The Nats' first two pitchers in this game, Josiah Gray and Andres Machado, had some problems throwing strikes. Then came Kyle Finnegan into the game, and Mark hit on this earlier in the show. So Finnegan ended up pitching for one and two-thirds innings. He allowed one run, which was unearned, came into the game in a tight spot. Top of the six, runners at the corners, one out, Nats up 6-3, and uh, Finnegan ended up sandwiching two outs around a walk. And then Finnegan in the top of the seventh allowed an unearned run on a leadoff hit by pitch, a throwing error by first baseman Dominic Smith on a high throw to second base on a fielder's choice grounder, and then an RBI ground out that cut the Nats' lead to 6-4. We then got Coral Edwards Jr., who has been a bit better here lately. Maybe he's getting on track. He tossed a perfect top of the eighth. And then Hunter Harvey closing out the game, although not necessarily the Nats' closer. Remember, Harvey in the win on Saturday tossed the eighth. Finnegan worked the ninth, but Harvey on Sunday afternoon, a perfect top of the ninth with two strikeouts. It was something, watching this game in real time, Machado comes in, has his struggles, and you know, you say to yourself, oh my goodness, like this game is in the balance here. The Nats have been hitting like crazy, but the game was in the balance, and thus Davey went to Finnegan in that sixth inning. And credit to Davey for being really aggressive there. He had Finnegan warming up very quickly in the sixth. He wasn't going to let Machado blow the game for him. He was going to get one of his top high leverage guys in there and give him the chance to do it. Now, we've seen Davey do this sometimes, but it's usually the eighth or maybe the seventh if it's a particular situation trying to get out of. I don't remember seeing him do this in the sixth inning with somebody like Finnegan, but he said it afterwards, like that was the game right there. He felt like if they let that situation get out of control, all of a sudden the game that should have been well in their hand is no longer. And so I give him credit for making that move when he did. And, you know, as much as we want to try to say who has, you know, which defined role in the bullpen, and there are things you can question about the way Davey goes about it. He does, when he's at his best, he is showing a willingness to put his best guys in the most meaningful situations, regardless of who has what role, regardless of what inning it is. I thought that was big today to put Finnegan in there right then and there, get out of it. Now, Finnegan wasn't great. That's the other weird part of it. He threw nine pitches in the sixth inning. Four of them were strikes and he still got out of the inning. And then he came back in the seventh and there was a run that scored, although it was unearned. So it's not like he came in and blew the doors off with his stuff, but he was good when he needed to be. And I think that was some really aggressive managing by David Martinez and it worked. Yeah, I mean, I think here once again is like another reason why this game is so weird. So first of all, with Davey, I don't think he has anything to prove in terms of like, is he forward thinking with reliever deployment? I mean, we saw in October 2019 how aggressive he could be, how forward thinking he could be, especially in navigating the Nats having what was an atrocious bullpen beyond basically two people in 2019 in Hudson and Doolittle. So I think good for him for doing what he did with Finnegan in the sixth inning. But I think what's so funny is that Finnegan's not having a great season. So if you say to yourself, like, okay, Kyle Finnegan is the Nats' ace reliever and Davey deployed him in the sixth as opposed to the ninth. Well, I don't know. Is Finnegan the Nats' ace reliever? Like, Finnegan's ERA is five, you know? And every outing, it feels like, is an adventure with him for the most part. So I don't know. Like, I wonder what Davey truly thinks. Like, who does he trust the most right now? And I don't know that there's an answer to that. I mean, you know, we saw Harvey close out this game, did not close out the previous game. I think the next time you're in a spot like that, I think it's kind of 50-50 what Davey does. And that's just fine. You don't have to have a designated closer, a designated eighth inning guy. But I feel like it is just so sort of shaky right now, especially 
with Finnegan because you're not overwhelmed by him when he pitches. At times he looks good, but too often he just has not looked good. And I know a bad game or two can wreck a pitcher's stats for a season, but the numbers for Finnegan this season are not pretty. I mean, if you're going by prettiness of numbers, Harvey's numbers are a lot prettier than Finnegan's. Yeah, agreed. And I think Finnegan hadn't had a clean inning since like late April. So even though he only had one blown save or only gave up runs, I think once in that time, it was constantly two men on base and trying to get out of it, that kind of thing. So yeah, I think deep down Davey at the moment, and this changes you know on a regular basis, I think at the moment he trusts Hunter Harvey the most. But I think after that, he probably still trusts Finnegan second on that list. And then Carl Edwards is getting back in his good graces <laughs> the last couple times out, even though he hadn't been. Mason Thompson has fallen down the depth chart. That was the guy he went to earlier in the year, but Thompson clearly is working out some things right now and isn't where he was. So I think it just boils down to as a manager, you're just doing whatever you have to do to try to win a game when you have the opportunity. And that's what he did in this case. Now, does that work year round, you know, every day for 162 to manage that way? Probably not. You got to pick your spots of when to do it. But this was one of those that he felt like it was worth doing that. And it did work out. And if you ask me on Tuesday night, if they're up by one run of the ninth, who's going to pitch? I don't know the answer to that question. I'm not sure Davey knows the answer to that question. It's kind of all on feel right now. Who does he feel like in that moment? Who makes sense with the matchups and all that? And it hasn't always worked out, but I think he's doing the best he can with what he has to work with right now. It feels a lot like the Nats lineup where in a given week, someone's hot, others are not, but it changes week to week. And that's how it feels like the bullpen is right now. Someone is going well at any given time, but who that person is, it can just be all over the place. I mean, look, Machado, we've seen Machado actually look all right lately. And then on Sunday afternoon, he basically couldn't get anybody out. So it's hard to know what to make of the bullpen. I do, though, think about long term this season. If Tanner Rainey comes back, say, in what, July, August, whenever that is from the Tommy John, you know, if he comes back and is effective and you do have Harvey in a good place and you do have Finnegan in a good place, and there are a lot of ifs in what I'm saying, I get that. But, you know, you can see the makings of a pretty enticing back end of the bullpen. I mean, three strikeout guys, in theory anyway, and Rainey and Finnegan and Harvey. I mean, I think people forget Rainey was the closer. Finnegan was not the closer. Rainey was the closer. And then Rainey got hurt. Finnegan became the closer beyond that. You know, who knows what happens with Sean Doolittle, too. But there are the makings here for a bullpen that is reliable. But, of course, kind of bullpens, by definition, almost are never that reliable. And right now, we're kind of seeing, you know, the ebb and flow here of the bullpen off having been pretty good earlier in the season. Right now, it's kind of spotty, and uh, you're not quite sure what to make of it game in and game out. So I was going to mention the other big if in that equation, that's Sean Doolittle. We don't really know when that's going to happen or what he will be like, but if he were to come back healthy and effective, that's a guy who's obviously been a successful closer in the past. I don't think he just takes over that role. I think that would be a matchup thing as a lefty, certainly have to earn his way back. I figure that Rainey would be a similar situation if and when he comes back. You're going to ease his way into it, see how he does. If he picks right up and he looks great, then maybe he ascends to that role. But it's a shame this team isn't a little more competitive because if they were actually trying to win in a race, there'd be some fascinating questions about the makeup of the bullpen down the stretch of the season that could end up being the linchpin for whether or not they really were a contending team or not. Now, they're not there. I suppose it's possible they could get there the way they're going right now, but probably not. But that would be a very fascinating dynamic for this team if they were in a more of a win now mode, because there's a lot of ways that could go come August and September. 
Rainey underwent his Tommy John last August 3rd. Have you heard anything about when he might actually pitch in the majors this season? Would it be August? August 1st was the date in his mind he was trying to set, at least back in spring training when we talked to him. He has been throwing for a while now. He has not gotten off a mound yet. I think that should be coming up maybe in the next month or so. Once he does that, you start to build up and then you go on the rehab assignment. So still a long way to go for that, but August 1st, give or take, was his target. Okay. That could be kind of exciting to have him back and and see how he performs for the Nats. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including your memories of the Nationals' March to the 2019 World Series Championship. We are accepting your voice memos. Record yourself talking into your smartphone. Email us that file. We are playing selected submissions at the ends of installments of this podcast. Again, that email address is natschatpodcast at gmail.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat podcast. And we leave you with John Walker of Alexandria, Virginia, with his memories of the Nationals run to the 2019 World Series Championship. Hey, Alan Mark, John Walker, Alexandria, Virginia, responding to your request for memories of the 2019 season. Mine is a little bit obvious, but it never gets old. That is the wild card game where I was sitting in section 132 PP seat 10, because of course I still have my ticket stub from that, sitting with my best friend from my elementary school days. We grew up in the south suburbs of Chicago together and are still great friends And we're used to a lot of baseball disappointment, obviously, given where we grew up. Anyway, bottom of the eighth rolls around. The place is a freaking morgue, of course. Everybody's got the same here-we-go-again mentality about them. Even when the bases are loaded and Soto's up, there's an air of inevitability in the crowd because, of course, as Nats fans, we can't have nice things. Anyway, Of course, Soto ropes a line drive to right center field. I'm looking towards the plate to make sure the tying run is going to score. And my buddy, who is sitting immediately to my right, elbows me in the ribs and says, the right fielder missed it. I turn, and of course, the ball is skipped by Grisham. I immediately turn back towards the infield to see if we're going to score the go-ahead run. I noticed Soto looking back over his shoulder as well. I am convinced, as Soto said afterwards, that he intentionally got himself in the rundown going to third to draw the throw, make sure the go-ahead run would score, which it does. Pandemonium erupts, of course. The place goes absolutely bonkers. It is the second greatest sports moment I've ever witnessed in my life. I'll spare you the details of the first greatest, but it was a long, long time before. That memory will always, always be with me. I would go on about it, but I've got to go to see if Corbin can increase his trade chip value even more this afternoon at the game. So I'll just leave you with that. Keep up the great work. I listen every morning. Thank you. 20-year-old Juan Soto in a spot to be a game changer here. He'll turn 21 on the 25th of October. Completing his second year in the big leagues. Base is loaded. One ball, one strike. Hater the set. The kick. Here it comes. Swing and a line drive. Base in right field. Taylor scores from third. Stevenson around third. The 
As Daniel Hudson's coming in to try and close it out, this play's going bonkers. Grisham overran the ball, and the error allows the Nationals to go for the win. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.